going on? Not much. Any uh, big news? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess we'll get on with the show then. Yeah, uh, whatever. For those who don't get the joke, I, I had a baby last week. I think it was last week. What day is it? It's Wednesday, right? Um, I think it's been a week. Yep. It's been a week. Congratulations. The days are now the days are now blurred together. Yeah. The baby's name is uh little Rust Griffin, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not as good a name as the one you chose. No, so we named her Ruby. Mm-hmm. Because we're both developers and naming things is hard. But we were trying to come up with girl names and I made the joke, well, if we named her Ruby, I could put her on top of like a toy train set and take a picture and then tweet it with the caption Ruby on Rails. And that was the clincher? And then we actually just really liked the name. <laughs> but also we named her so I could make a joke on the internet. <laughs> Let's, hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. Congratulations. Thank you. It's still a weird state of uh, limbo because she's still in the NICU. Ah, because she was born super early. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't. I didn't remember. Uh, thought it was Marchish, right? February, February sixteenth. Oh. Okay. Yehuda and Leia were supposed to beat us by a month, but we ended up beating them by a week. <laughs> Congratulations, I guess. But uh... <laughs> as you know, having a baby is a race. Yes. Yeah. Um, everything's a race. How how is she doing in the NICU? Uh, she's doing okay. Not okay. you know various things that are that are keeping her there or have been keeping her there until at least Monday, but nothing like unexpected for a premature baby. That's good. How so? It's mm, four. So just four weeks early. Four six or five. Weeks. Six weeks. Okay. She was uh, thirty-four weeks and five days. When that's she not. Was... That's not too bad. No, no, thirty. So thirty-four weeks is like the cutoff of when, if if it's younger than thirty-four weeks, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. But thirty-four weeks and five days is like is is considered late preterm, which is not not worrisome, but does mean at least a week in the NICU and and often longer. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear things are going well. Congratulations. There's a lot of poop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like we we tried to feed her this morning. We had to change her diaper three times in the span of 15 minutes. Yeah, it doesn't stop coming. And you start doing things, like things become normal, like picking up another person and smelling its butt. <laughs> like that becomes, <laughs> that just becomes normal behavior. Usually small children. But, you know, I mean, if you're tired enough, you might find yourself doing it to adults. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Just sitting at work like, who stinks? Come here. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that is... uh interesting because i've been like getting everything filed that i can get filed because one thing i learned is that if you're a dual citizen at least this is true for america and canada and i I would assume this is true for most countries so like if you're a dual u.s citizen and some other citizenship you can't use your other passport or your other citizenship's passport to enter the u.s because you're a u.s citizen you have to have a u.s passport Mm -hmm. and that's the same in canada because she's going to go to RailsConf in April. So we need to get an American passport for her before that so she can get into America. And then a Canadian passport for her so she can get back into Canada. Mm, one passport, not sufficient. Yeah. Enjoy taking that baby passport photo. 
Right. Um, her eyes have to be open. You're like, can't we put them in in post or something? <laughs> uh, Enjoy. You do all the stuff to get the birth certificate online. And I was filling out the, the, the web form. And I love how every single official government form in Canada, every other question is, do you live in Quebec or some form of are you associated with Quebec? Because Quebec is special and does its own thing for this. And you do? No, I don't live in Quebec. Oh, see, I don't. <laughs> I, live, I live like, hold on, it's Canada, so it's in kilometers. I think I'm like 20 kilometers from Quebec. Okay. Probably maybe 50. Ottawa? That's where yeah. you live? I live in Ottawa, which is okay. in, technically in Ontario, but there's a river through the middle of town, and on the other side of the river is Gatineau, which is a different town because it is in, it is in Quebec. Okay. We'll, we'll do our um, Canadian geography test another time. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian geography is so shitty because 90% of the landmass is uninhabited. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you ever played the game, uh, the video game Hearthstone or heard of it? I've heard of it. I've not played it, but I've heard of it. It's a card game, right? Yeah. A deck, deck game. Yeah, so it's a collectible card game. And there was a video that was posted about a week ago, I think, uh, at the time of recording this where the developer team did a live Q&A session on Twitch and answered a bunch of questions. And they were touching on a couple of the particularly hot issues in the community right now. And then shortly after that, there was a response posted by one of the more prominent streamers slash competitive players named Brian Kibler, who gave his thoughts on all these issues. And the way that they were going back and forth just kind of got me thinking because it had some interesting parallels, I think. They were talking about how the developer team... So we have these priorities, which may, which the community may or may not know about, or may or may not. They don't necessarily always have the full picture. It just sort of reminded me a lot of like some of the ways conversations can go between the Rails team and the Rails user base. Certainly, the Rails user base tends to have much more context and more information than like the the players of Hearthstone compared to the developer team of Hearthstone, because like it's a tool for developers made by developers. So just there's going to be, you know. And the source is open. <laughs> and this, Right, and it's open source. But I still think there were some interesting parallels to get drawn there, especially in particular, one of the points they were talking about a lot about was the new player experience. I think that's one thing that I've sometimes, not really like explicitly butt heads with people over, but on the Rails team, right, even though Rails is quote-unquote mainstream, we still have to care about adoption and the new developer or the new user experience. Does that ever, from your point of view, seem like a thing that Rails developers are aware that we care about or consider when we're developing new APIs? Um, if, if you're submitting a pull request, is that a thing that, that would ever cross your mind as a contributor? Do you think that it should? I think so. And here's the way I think of it. I don't think of it so much as, as like new developer, so as like person who wants to use an API that looks like this. Does it make sense? Right. That kind of thing. And I think that that test, like certain things will make more sense to people who are more advanced. So so that's like there's a continuum there. I don't know if I explicitly think like, how is this going to work for people who are just starting out learning programming or, or coming to Rails from Java or whatever the case may be. I don't explicitly think about that. But if I got feedback that it could be improved for that instance, then I think it would be fine. I think it's a lot more important also for changes to existing features more so than like brand new features. 
right change configuration defaults things that present new error messages things that like and at like if you're following the hartle tutorial you're likely to run into either following it or like going on close tangents to that yeah and i think that that, i think that's a fine thing to try to optimize for i think you know we we've talked on the show a few times about the attributes api like that's an example of something that is not on that path right right I generally expect if I propose using it for something that people have not heard of it. Right. And that's, but that's also why I was so adamant about type objects versus symbols. Right. Because it's a little more discoverable. Right. So that way when you see it and you have no clue and you've never seen it before, there is more than just the one method call to go look up the docs for. You have greppable tokens. You can go see and discover the behavior much more easily. Yeah. I mean, I think that's maybe where I've differed from like... (laughs) I think there's there's like a perhaps two different camps where you have like we want Rails to be a great experience for everybody, including new developers, and that includes sometimes like things that just magically work, right? Right. But I think that that's detrimental to developers, both <laughs> new and old, because there's no discoverability there. Like, is, there has to be some sort of hint of discoverability, and right. there's a certain there's certainly a certain amount of magic that's like your base level of magic acceptable. <laughs> like maybe like active record introspecting on your database and telling you what the columns are, right? Like Right. Well as I say, I think the attributes API is kind of a good example because the magic is we define all the stuff on your model based on whatever your database schema says. Right. And then the attributes API did add uh, discoverability is not the right word, but once you do start digging deeper, right, once that line is drawn, oh, but actually all that's doing is just calling into the attributes API for you automatically. Right. Right. Then then that lets you as a more experienced developer drop a level deeper. I do think what is missing is that that point of discoverability where like without me telling you that you can make that that connection. Right. Like given that this is a thing that that not only is magic, like literally involves you never writing a line of code. I don't even know where that discoverability could come from. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I do think that's a good example of like, yeah, so there's the magic, right? And then there's the and then there's the next level down that you can drop to for a more complete understanding of how everything's working under the hood. Right. Just before we I came down to do the show, I had kind of a similar experience. So I just did some work to internationalize this app I'm working on, internationalize all the views, and then there's like there are these drop downs that you use in, in a search and they have what we call services in them. And it'll be like services offered by these providers. And those are stored in the database. They rarely change. There's like high ceremony involved if you add if you add one. So it's like it's pretty stable. So what I decided to do was like, oh, rather than storing a name in the database, we'll just store a key in the database and we'll use that for translation lookup. Be the simplest thing we can do. And so we have to seed this data from an import from the old system. And so I get these strings that are actually their names. And I need to go to something predictable as the key because reasons. So I was like, all right, well, let me look. I'll just call like underscore on it and that'll work. And it doesn't, underscore is actually built for like turning things into like from class names to strings. And it's not, right. it's not really built for what I want it to do. But it turns out like Rails does have, I can call parameterize, which does what I want with spaces and slashes and all that stuff. Like gets rid of the slashes, gets rid of the spaces. And then I can call underscore on that. So I can call like name.parameterize.underscore. And presumably this data is all ASCII then. Yeah, this is totally, it does what I want. There's like, I don't know, 50, 100 services. I can inspect each one and be like, yeah, this does exactly what I want. But I was like, okay. And I start, I start having it for various reasons in the importer. We have to do this a couple different times. And I'm like, where I'm calling like parameterize.underscore is not very descriptive. So like, wouldn't it be nice if I had like a 2i18n key here? And like, 
I immediately start doing what I would normally do, which is I write a class called IETN called IETN key, and I call IET and you know it has a class method called for, and you pass it a name, and it instantiates itself, and then does its magic and returns returns sure. the key. But then I was like, what about refinements? Those are a thing in Ruby now. Like I could in these importers, I could say like using my string extensions, and then just say like string dot to IETN key, and so I did that, and I was like, that was a lot of fun. This refinement thing. Look at that. Like a locally scoped, like a class scoped monkey patch. So I don't know if there's a refinement something in the water because I have literally not seen refinements in the wild at all since they were since they were added. And then in the past two or three weeks, we got the fir- a pull request and I merged it. Our first usage of refinements in Rails itself. <laughs> Sam had been talking to me a ton about refinements recently because there were issues with refinements in our spec that went undetected for many years because nobody used refinements. Right. And, that, and uh, it's just it's just funny. That, that, was, like, half, that was to be honest, that was 98 percent of the reason I wanted to use refinements is because I'd never had and I'd never seen one anybody use it outside of like a blog post. Right. Right. I hadn't come across it anywhere. And I was like, I should, I'm going to do this. But then like, I, I took a step back as before I committed the code and I was like, this is confusing. Like this is right. like two IE10N key. You're like, what? Oh, that's a thing. Can I just call this on a string over here? Like what if somebody else had to do this in a different file? And they're right. like, I just call two IE10N key and it doesn't work. And it's not clear why. Cause at the top of the class, there's this using extensions thing. And if you miss that, then you know, you miss how that works. And maybe if refinements were more commonplace, we'd be at a place where you would know to look like, oh, is this refined somehow? Or Even if they were common, it's not an intuitive feature. Yeah. The other really weird thing about it was like, as I was playing around with it, at least in 2.3, which is what this app is on, I haven't tried in 2.4 yet. If you refine strings, if you like, you say like, I'm using my refinement, right? Um, and let's say you add this to IE10N key method to strings, and then you call like string dot respond to to IE10N key. Right, it doesn't. It returns false. Yeah. But then you can call it's, it. And, and, and there's <laughs> no way to actually detect that something has been refined. Right. So it's really weird because like it yeah. says it doesn't respond to it, but it most certainly does. So the 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 usage we had for it in Rails was um, it was inactive support in a place where we are globally monkey patching something in. And I don't remember which method it was, but basically we we needed the original method, uh, and then we were modifying its behavior. I think it was I think it might have been like our normalizing of dot sum because dot sum exists in Ruby two four two three or something. Anyway, so we uh, alias the old method, define the new one, call the old one that way, and um, I don't remember I don't know why that isn't using a refended module actually, but basically the refinement was so that that alias method didn't that name never leaks so we we can call the alias super method basically mm-hmm. there and then that name never leaks it's like okay sure that's fine because it's defining the refinement and then only using the refinement in the, the exact same place right and it's purely for like not letting something leak it's like you know what that's like for rails that's a useful tool <laughs> to have yeah, I don't see that being a thing that, and, and I'm not saying that's the only usage for the feature, but nobody, nobody's going to use it in that. Like the average Ruby developer is not going to use refinements in that way. Right. And what I, what I came back to was like, it would almost be better if I just monkey patch string. It would, yeah. pro- it would probably be better. Like I can. Well, it's like, it, and does that even really provide much readability or usability over it10n key dot four no not really and it's totally undiscoverable i mean unless it was in the project and you c tagged it or whatever but 
So I just went with IE10 and key.4. It was mostly just a thing where I was like, oh, I could use refinements here. And yeah. I got really excited about it briefly. And I asked about it in ThoughtBot's Ruby Slack channel. And people were like, oh, I haven't used that before. And I was like, oh, Joe Ferris is out today. He's the one who would definitely tell me not to do this. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> so I, I mean, should do I mean, it. Props for not going with the clever solution. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, that was a long thing from like, it just ultimately I was like, yeah, it's just way more discoverable and like explicit if I just say like IETN key dot four and pass the name and then it does a thing. Yeah. And so, and that's ultimately what I'm almost always preaching about writing Rails code is like, just write more objects that don't exist as subclasses of active record or action controller and you'll yeah. be in good shape. So, yeah. Again, not a thing that's like explicitly like new users, but I think just as like maybe somebody who's not familiar with this code base, which is slightly different than new user, but along the same lines. And I think that sure. in consulting, we're constantly thinking of that. Because either we're working on a project that we're going to turn over to other developers, or we're working on a project long-term with a client team that has their own developers, and we're going to be rotating our own developers in. Like, we want to make sure that experience is automated as much as possible, and also that you know what they need to know is discoverable and not uh, obfuscated somehow. Right. No, and I mean, it's not even right. When I'm looking at pull requests to Active Record or Diesel... You know, I, I assume I'm the newcomer because I'm, I'm I'm dumb and have a very short attention span. <laughs> so, like, I've written so much of that code, but I still need everything to be written a way that is easy for me to understand. And then if there's additional context, I need to understand it, like, for that to be within one or two jumps or I'm just going to get confused with my right. own code even. Right. And you're going to get more confused because you're going to be lacking sleep. So right, <laughs> I mean that's not that won't me coding on no sleep won't be a new thing, right? Especially especially for security uh, sensitive code, I prefer to do that on two hours of sleep with a glass of whiskey. Mm. You know, just good practices. Yeah, yeah, that's how most of Diesel was written. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay though. It's in Rust, so it's safe. <laughs> so let's take a break for a moment and talk about our sponsor for this week, FreshBooks. You know, I really, really, really hate invoices. They're just the worst. You go to Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets or whatever, and you get whatever invoice looking template they have. And you're like, oh, I hope I hope the client hasn't seen this template before. And wait, the invoice number is one. And that seems really unprofessional. And it's just it's just awful. Uh, FreshBooks wants to help. They're going to help you create and send professional looking invoices in under 30 seconds. And on average, their users can get paid by their clients up to four days faster. And you never have to worry about like, oh, I sent this invoice. Have they seen it? Are they going to pay it? Because with FreshBooks, you can see when the client has seen your invoice. So the world is changing. More and more people are self-employed. Statistically, one in three of you listening to this are a freelancer of some kind. And the world just isn't changing to meet the growing needs of freelancers today. So FreshBooks is announcing an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and built for exactly the way you work. It all starts with invoicing, but it has so many features. It also lets you take pictures of receipts with their mobile app for expensing later, has time tracking, all sorts of great stuff. If you've taken a look at them before, take a look again at their new version. They're offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of our listeners. If you want to claim it, you just go to freshbooks.com slash bike and enter the bike shed, all separate words with spaces in the how did you hear about a section. 
Thanks a lot to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. Now, so one of the other things, though, that got me thinking of, and the reason I brought up that response video was just there was a portion of it where they were talking about certain cards rotating a certain way, and he goes on for like, and I, you know, back when they were first working on this this new standard format, I told them that what they're talking about doing now is going to be better for all of these reasons, and they just didn't listen. And it kind of reminded me of just, I think, not really a misunderstanding, but like, a type of discussion that I've had with people in around rails that like never really gets anywhere where like communicating with in, de- in development in general, right? If the, pre- if the premise of the discussion is I'm right and here's why I'm right. I'm going to try and make you understand all, you know, here's, here's like the reasons that, that I'm right. That doesn't really ever do what you want. Cause I think the important thing, especially, especially right when we're talking about a project like rails, where you might not have all of the picture, it's not so much just about giving the reasons why you're right. It's about leading the other person down your train of thought that led you to feel that way. So that right. then trying to give the other person as much of the context that you have that led you to that conclusion. So that then if there's additional parts of the big picture that maybe you don't have, mm-hmm. everything can be put into that, in, into that context. Yeah, I'm a big fan of context. I once gave a, a conference talk on uh, providing context. <laughs> I just, re- I, yeah, I realized as I was saying that I'm sort, I was sort of saying my like, here's how to ar- here, here's how to argue. This is why I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> it is true though. Like last night, somehow I stumbled down a GitHub hole where, you know, GitHub has that pull requests thing right at the top, and you can see all of your open pull requests. And I like to laugh every now and then at how long my oldest open pull request is, which is right now 2011, I think. That's never getting merged, but I just refuse to close it. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so, this is to Rails? No, this is to okay. like, I don't remember what the project is. I'd have to look it up or other people can do that. And it's, so it's sitting there on open. But I started looking through like, oh, let's look through like my earliest closed pull requests. And I wasn't a jerk, but I wasn't making my case very effectively either. Like, <laughs> like I was using a lot of like, obviously, simply like, like that type of language. And it's like, okay, like I see how far I've come. I'm better yep. now. I wasn't outright mean to people. I, I, at least I didn't come across one where I was. So I was happy about that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun exercise to go through and see like how I used to make my case and how I try to make my case now. I mean, definitely right. Submitting code to open source is not a technical thing. Getting your pull request merged is not a technical problem. It's entirely a communication and social skills mm, exercise. Not entirely, but <laughs> no, but that's it's such a huge part of it. Like that's true. Like getting what you want out of the software project is definitely a communication switch. Because I've had code come through where the person did a great job communicating what they want and a terrible job on the code, but they did such a good job communicating what they want that I now want it. Right. Right. And then you can work with the person to get their, right. to get their pull request. Like, like we, we, we want, we want to merge your pull request, but, but we need to understand why the thing that you want is a good thing to have. Right. And that's way more valuable than getting the code exactly right. And me not really understanding why we need it. Right. So yeah, cool. So to all of our listeners out there, <laughs> I kind of promised my wife that it would be raining tech onesies. So if your company has a onesie, shoot us an email. Preferably baby-sized? Baby-sized onesie, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> shoot an email to host at bikeshed.fm. I will send you my address. If you're interested in sending baby Ruby a onesie, I will take I will take pictures. Yeah. And tweet them at you. Yeah. Did we secure you a, a ThoughtBot onesie yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Okay. That was the, I think, the first person who replied to that. Yeah, to I saw, my, I saw somebody had already replied, and I was like, oh, that should have happened then. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and there will be, be pictures. If you're unsure if Ruby is cute enough for this to be worth the time, there will be pictures of Ruby in the show notes. <laughs> okay, a picture of Ruby. Fine. <laughs> I'm glad that you now have a child so that we can, this podcast can just become us talking about our children. <laughs> I've long wanted to do that podcast. No. <laughs> It was actually nice. Like I, I got to chat with Yehuda for a little bit last night. It was just like because I've mostly just been running to and from the hospital and annoying everybody with how much I like have stuff to say about my baby and nobody cares. And it was just nice to talk to another new parent about baby stuff. Yeah, you know, my wife joined like one of the new mothers groups things for support, and they would often have like family gatherings, like you know, your husband and all the if you have other kids, bring them. We're all going to gather at this place. I remember the first time being like, I don't want to meet a whole bunch of new people. Like, I don't want to do this. And then instantly being like, oh my gosh, all of these people are doing the exact same thing I'm doing right now. And I don't care if I talk only about my baby forever. And like, <laughs> because their babies are doing almost exactly the same thing and we can learn from each other. But then like outside of that circle, I found myself like almost never talking about my kids. Yeah. To the point where some people were like, do you even really like being a dad? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'm just very cognizant of trying to not always talk about my kids, but I've, I've loosened that a little bit and I'm sure that people who work with me will listen to this and be like, mm, are you sure? But you just, you, you don't understand how much I would talk if I wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've been trying to just like distract myself as, as much as possible from everything, uh, this week, just cause it's like, it, it's just, it's a really weird state of limbo where like major life changing thing has happened, but my new life hasn't started yet. Yeah. So my new favorite game now is going on Twitter and finding every tweet that mentions Ruby and assuming it's about my daughter <laughs> and sending a very confused reply. <laughs> I liked your, your tweet where you mentioned that you have been wearing Ruby conference t-shirts to the hospital just to confuse the nurses. <laughs> <laughs> I wore, the, the best one was uh, I wore my Keep Ruby Weird shirt, which like, you know, it's got this giant Ruby with like alien tentacles coming out of it. And it's Keep Ruby, like most conference t-shirts, Ruby's really small on it. But the Keep Ruby Weird one, it's really big on the front. Keep Ruby Weird. Mm -hmm. And the, the nurses were just like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you get that made so quickly? <laughs> Well, when Pest was going into labor, um, I brought her like a change of clothes and everything. I brought it in a backpack from RubyConf. And I just had it sitting there. And one of the doctors came and was like, isn't that your daughter's name? <laughs> no, it'll be good, though. I'm, I got her a badge for RailsConf. Exciting. And I'm going to see if I can get the T-shirt design ahead of time and get a onesie made with the design on it. <laughs> and failing that, she'll have a little uh, train conductor outfit. And then the badge <laughs> will be like the size of her head. So are you speaking at RailsConf this year? No, probably not. I'm running the open source deep dives track, but right. I am planning on, um, I always hate like, especially at RubyConf and RailsConf, like you just sort of are there and somebody mics you up. Maybe you have to go ask somebody to mic you up and then like you look at a clock. It's like, is it time to start? I don't know. Let's start. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of be more active about emceeing and introducing people. Ooh, exciting. Especially because looks like a few of the talks that are going to get accepted are going to be newer speakers so i think it'll be especially helpful for them so i figure i'll bring I'll, 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 uh since i'm not going to actually give a talk i'm just going to like go up and introduce a person i'll probably bring ruby on stage with me at least yeah once. that's what i was asking if you were speaking you could like you know wear an ergo or something like that and just carry oh, yeah, her up I'll, there and I'll, have her, I'll have her in a yorn like <laughs> as much as she's willing to put up with yeah yeah she can be the conference mascot
Yeah, it'll be great. I got to come up with some talk proposals in the next day. <laughs> yeah, you have 24 hours, man. I'm, uh, I, Girl, actually, I have a little longer than 24 Somebody hours, invited but... me to be on a panel, so maybe that'll get accepted. I don't know. Okay. Uh, at your suggestion, actually. They reached out to me. So oh, cool. hopefully that panel will get accepted. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else? So this is going to be about programming, but like, uh, <laughs> so I knew labor takes a while just cause my mom always like hung it over, over me. Like, you know, I was in labor for 28 hours with you, but still <laughs> like the way the media portrays it, right. It's like my water broke. We need to go to the hospital. And then yeah. you drive, and then you drive to the hospital, the baby pops out and then you take it home. Mm-hmm. Right. But in reality, it was the water broke. We went to the hospital. Three days later, she goes into labor. Uh, (laughs) It was actually a really short labor. It was only 11 hours. And that was eight days ago. And we haven't taken the baby home. We're not going to be able to until Monday at the earliest. Um, But so like you sort of need something to do for those 11 hours of labor. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's not gonna. Yep. You're not gonna be like in the TV where you're just sitting there the whole time going push for eleven hours straight. Right. Nor is it kind of like the old school where you're out in the waiting room drinking whiskey with the other dads. Oh yeah, unless no, it was. Was a... that what how it was for you? No, uh, <laughs> no. Although Raphael and I did go smoke in my garage afterwards. <laughs> had a, had a celebratory cigar. Nice. They don't let you do that in the hospital. No. <laughs> but you know, so I'm just sitting in the in the delivery room. I have my laptop. I'm like. Work on some diesel stuff. And I'm answering questions. And then just at a certain point, the pushing starts. I'm like, oh, sorry, I got to run. It looks like the baby's coming. (laughs) (laughs) And then then everyone was like, wait, so was he literally like on his, (laughs) uh, like answering diesel questions until the last second of his baby being born? I'm like, "Eh, eh, yeah, that's more or less what I was doing. Because like, it's boring in there. Oh, shit. The last hour or two has action, but like, you know. Let's specify that it's boring for you. Sure. Uh, well, she, she's asleep for most of it. They give, they, give, they give really good drugs now. Okay. I don't want this to be the Labor Stories podcast, so I'm just not going to say anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, like, if Diesel 010 is a little, is a little weird, it's because... I spent, you know, at least nine hours of the time working on it in a delivery room. <laughs> well, we're pregnant with anticipation. <laughs> Dad joke. Um, I am probably not going to have the new Postgres driver in the next release because I, I got as far as I think I can with it. And there's just like with uh, the futures library and with Tokyo, I just couldn't get into an API that I was happy with. Basically, like, it wants to be structured so that anything that that works on the connection basically has to take ownership of the connection and return a future of a tuple of the thing you 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 wanted back and the connection, which, like, then forces you to have a pyramid of doom because you sort of lose all of the composability of, like, the whole idea with futures, right, is that you just write your synchronous code and then you wrap some futures around it and then, like, all of a sudden it's async and that just doesn't work with that. And so I tried some weird crazy stuff involving uh mpsc channels and a long-lived future so that i could just like borrow the connection and then pass information to this other long-lived future which then do everything asynchronously and communicate back via via channel which almost worked but then when i got in stuff like connection pooling and transaction uh api anything that like needs to take a lexical scope it just falls apart Mm. because the connection basically doesn't live anywhere 
that's guaranteed to live at least as long as the event loop. So there's something's got to change upstream for that to be an API that I'm happy with and willing to ship. So that that got cut. So the next release will just be JSON support, a bunch of quality of life features, MySQL support, and working on Rust stable, which is still a huge release, but not like a lot of people have been asking for async uh, IO. So and and that was going to be part of Rails 5.1 as well. So I'm a little disappointed that that didn't happen, but. 5.2? 6.0? Well, yeah, probably probably Rails 5.2 and a version of Diesel sometime in the next six months once I can coordinate with people upstream and get the stuff I need fixed to be fixed. Ooh, I, that reminds me. I got a change into 5.1 the other day. Oh, yeah? At least what I think is going to be 5.1. So on the project, I think I've talked about this before. On the project that I'm working on, we have like some required field validations that we like want to have happen in Chrome. But then there's this jQuery UJS polyfill that, like, if you're using Safari, just like prevents the form from submitting. It just right. does nothing, and you're like, "What? What is going on? This form is broken. It's really hard to discover what's going on." And so, like, I, I have a way around it, which is like you can set some so, like publicly settable selector in jQuery UJS to something that will not return any elements, and that's how you get it to think that there are no required fields that are missing. And so I do that, and. Like, I was like, okay, you know, this is like the fifth time I've done this. And I was like, oh, wait, I forgot. They're replacing jQuery UJS with Rails UJS. Let me go see if they, like, because there is a longstanding issue on jQuery UJS about this problem. And it's like, well, we have this behavior. And, like, if we take it away, it's kind of a breaking change. Like, it does sound like kind of a shitty behavior, though. Yeah. So I opened up an issue on Rails UJS, which was like issue number two or something like that. And I was like, I was like, uh, can like, what do we think about removing this? It's like a longstanding problem, blah blah blah. And I figured that like somebody would look at it and be like, well, we were really going for compatibility with jQuery UJS as just like a drop-in placement. But my argument was like, you have to opt into this. Like, you're either going to get it as generating a new app, or you have to explicitly say you want to opt into this. That's a good argument, actually. And to my surprise, Raphael was like, yeah go ahead, remove it. <laughs> and so like I opened up a pull request that night and boom, it's gone. So no, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> like, and there probably aren't really many apps like specifically relying on it. Right. There might be apps that are like accidentally broken because of it. Yeah. I think that, I think that's more the case. Cause like, unless you built on top of it, I guess there's no way of like, oh, this is like, I, I've provided feedback to the user based on this. It just doesn't do anything. So, right. But I want my users to be confused in Safari, damn it. I'm trying to punish <laughs> Apple users. I've had a couple of bugs like on this project where like I'll show them to like other developers or the designer on the project and they'll be like, oh, that only happens in Safari. And I'm like, that's like three quarters of the reason I use Safari at this point is because somebody has to catch these bugs. And, you know, you could make that same argument for using IE, which I don't do. But well, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we like we basically have no code in Rails anymore for IE. Browser compatibility shims are just becoming so much less of a thing, and Safari right. is the only browser that we have to do it for. Right. This particular project I'm on now supports back to IE9, so we still have problems there. Okay. But Safari is the one that comes up more often now at this point. And there was that blog post from a long time, like, I don't know, maybe a year ago, that was like, Safari is the new IE. Yeah. And saying it was, but it's a little different. Like, Safari's not stagnating. Like IE stag- IE six stagnated, right? Safari is adding things, but they're just not what developers necessarily want. They're adding like uh, they're pr- like in terms of HTML five support, they're pretty stagnant, right? And they so were they're... the last ones to add things like WebGL by a right. significant margin. That's what I said. As far as what developers want, they're stagnant. As far as what 
like what they prefer, which is like a web browser that's good on your battery. They're making progress there, but they're just not putting the effort into the developer features. And uh, I think I'm I mean those aren't developer fe- like. You say, when you say develop like you, when you say developer feature, I think like better debugging tools, right? These aren't features for developers; these are features for people to make features for their users. Yes, there's no way to argue that not having HTML5 form validation improves battery life. Oh, they have the form validation; they just don't have any sort of user notification for it. <laughs> oh, right, the APIs right. are all dis- there. Displaying <laughs> displaying the notifications <laughs> would drain the battery too much. Right? Yeah, those pop ups or whatever. It's too much. Um, I did just check though, because I, I was trying to remember. Do you remember how you used to put UTF-8 equals checkmark in your URL sometimes? Yeah, I still see that. Don't I still see that? Do I not still see that? It, it, maybe if you're working on like Rails 3.2 apps, because I just I, I just grepped for the checkmark symbol, mm-hmm. and it only shows up in tests. So presumably that's gone. Because the only reason that was there was uh, it forced IE8 to submit form data as UTF-8 encoded instead of uh, Windows CRC 132, whatever their shitty version of Latin one is. I have news for you. Is it still there? I have a Rails 5 app generated with Rails 5. And uh, it put UTF-8 equals checkmark in the search parameters. <laughs> wonder where that is then. Why doesn't it show up in the code base? Is it in jQuery UJS? No. Could, I, it could be. All right. Well. It's in there somewhere. There. We, can, we can delete it. I'm, like, we can definitely delete it. It's, it doesn't do anything for any browsers because we don't officially support IE8 in Rails. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not you officially support it, do you want to like go out of your way to break it? It only matters if you're if you're specifically submitting UTF-8 get, data. Yeah, which I mean is a valid thing to want to do, but yeah, I'm not. I'm actually now just curious where the hell that comes from, because <laughs> not in Rails. Rails. Yeah, I'm looking through jQuery UJS right now, but I don't see it there either. Yeah, let me clone it and grep it. I don't trust. I don't. I don't trust GitHub search anymore. Hmm. Why? It just never works for me. Like it never actually finds things that are useful. I mean, unless it's somehow like it might be backslash. Yeah, I was gonna say, code. is it using that? I was just searching for UT, the string UTF eight, or is it UTF dash eight? I can't remember. Uh, it's UTF eight as a either. string, but I didn't see. Well, it. but the the actual check mark has to be there, right? right. UTF eight's more likely to, to yeah. appear, but it could be it backslash, could be backslash. U twenty seven thirteen. Let's see if it's. It's got to be there somewhere. Well, you the string U twenty seven thirteen also does not appear in uh, either code base. So I don't know. It's magic. It's, uh, it's somewhere Un- undiscoverable yeah, magic, like we were talking this, about. This is, this is that signature Rails magic. <laughs> because new users really want check marks in their parameters. <laughs> All right. I mean, it was a clever solution to the problem. Although it was originally UTF eight equals snowman, which was yeah. I, I, I thought I think is even funnier, but like. The user's less likely to notice UTF-8 equals checkmark. <laughs> Probably have to get a, a bus or train soon, right? Um, yeah. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 96. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes or Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any other, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, leave a comment on the website, or tweet directly to at sgriff on Twitter. Thanks for listening to The Bike Shed, and we'll see you next week.